Welcome to Common Ground Church, Rwandabosh, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's Spirit. Every now and again, we pause our series to hear from our pastors on what God is pressing on them in this current moment. Please continue listening for today's message. Great. Thank you, Rigby. A privilege to this evening have an opportunity to speak to us. Si and Kate, I just do want to say that I'm delighted. Scriptures tell us that God gives gifts to His body and we tonight receive the gift that you guys are as a couple. It has been a privilege to witness your lives. And I'm gonna pick on you guys a little bit tonight because tonight, as you heard, um, Bussy said it during worship, we're actually gonna push pause on the sermon series that we're currently in, looking at when Jesus returns. And the reason for that is there was a kind of late unexpected uh, uh, unavailability and preachers needed to switch around. And I said, guys, it would be my privilege to at short notice step into this gap because I feel like God's been stirring some things in my heart for us as a community, which I believe are in His hearts. And so it's a great privilege tonight to to kind of say, guys, I carry three burdens. The first one is a burden as I come to speak tonight, a pastoral burden for the reality of people being in such different and very difficult spaces. I'm not sure about you, but I've just heard of a number of people in very difficult spaces in their lives. Secondly, I carry a leadership burden and that leadership burden is that we would, just like we have been doing right now, that we would recognise that God calls leaders to lay down their lives for the flourishing of His people and His mission. And in the context of this church, we do have something of a leadership need that I feel like I wanna speak to and bring to us that we would steward that together as a community. And then my third burden as a preacher is always to preach Christ and to see Him magnified. And I hope that I could carry something of this heart across on all three of these things. And maybe if you're just visiting us today and thank you to all the one day only guys for coming to support Sai. I just wanna say sorry for Rigby's dad joke. Uh, but I do have a bone to pick with you guys. You guys are the guys who steal my contentment regularly and then sell it back to me at such a discounted rate. <laughs> that I'm inclined to wanna support what you guys do, right? But I knows this already with our shared love of shoes. Okay, today I've titled this sermon, God is always at work. God is always at work. And we're gonna look at just five verses from a small book in the Old Testament, the book of Ezra. Ezra was a priest. And personally, I worked through this devotionally about 18 months ago. Terry Virgo was here. He, sp- he spoke out of this first chapter uh, of Ezra. I got into it devotionally, shared some of these thoughts with uh, some others at that time, but I've never had the opportunity to actually preach into this here in our community. And when this gap opened up, I was keen to take it because I believe there's some beautiful things in here for us as the people of God. And even for those who would be looking in tonight. And so church, again, as we come to God's Word, as I often say, let's make sure we come to it to sit under God's Word as an authority to our lives, to sit under God's Word as a truth and grace to our lives. It's be a a people that are responsive to a God who speaks. So verse one, 
in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. He means business, right? He's not just saying this. He's now decreeing this in writing throughout all the kingdoms. He was the most powerful king of the known time. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and He has charged me to build Him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all His people, may His God be with Him and let Him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns. In other words, there were displaced people of God amongst the Jewish nation in a number of these different kingdoms. And so he decrees that let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Church, this is God's words to us tonight. Father, won't you allow your, your written word to pierce our hearts, to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us, to challenge us, to instruct us. We sit under it as your waterfall of grace and truth to us tonight. Let me just point out at the beginning here, guys, these aren't bedtime stories. This is history that we, we are kind of what I mean, reading about here, right? Last year, I had the privilege of going to the British Museum, the British Museum in London. Other than about 4,000 pots, there is also a cylindric, cylindric thing. Can we put it up quick? This is a cylindric uh, kind of decree that is written about what's happening here, right here, 539 BC. This King Cyrus wrote, well, somebody, I guess, wrote for him. And that is a cylindric decree, right? And it's in the British Museum. This is history that we're talking about. And the second thing that we need to recognize right at the beginning is Cyrus, the mighty King Cyrus, or Cyrus the Great, as he was known, was not amongst the people of God. See, Cyrus was a Persian king, the most powerful king at the time. The people of God were in Jerusalem and then they, about 35 years before this, got actually kind of conquered by the Babylonians and most of God's people, the Jewish nation, the set-apart people of God, had been drawn into exile, taken into exile in Babylon. And then this moment happens, the King Cyrus the mighty Persian king comes and he conquers Babylon. So we see here the people of God being a double conquered people. And straight away, I would think that we can imagine that this invasion of the Persians into the Babylonian context would put everybody in a panic States, right? The people of God, a number of them unsettled by the unrest, they straight away are doing the figures and they've been bumped down the food chain. 
And this can be very unsettling. They're scared about what this means for their lives and their futures and their children's lives and futures. And yet in the midst of this seeming despair, we see God move in on His people. And this is my first double point that I wanna make tonight. This is a preaching trick if you ever get to preaching. If you put two points together, you can actually squeeze more in, right? My first double point tonight is that God is aware. God is aware and God is not far off. Church, it's so important for us to recognise that God is not an aloof God that has kind of distanced Himself, breathed creation into being, big bang happens, the rest of the world spins out and God kind of goes on a picnic. No, that is not the God that we serve. God is aware of everything that is happening in your life and mine and He is not far off. This truth is played out in so many different circumstances throughout the Scriptures. And this truth, if you've been a Christ follower for any amount of time, is a truth that gets played out again and again and again in our lives. Where we can feel the nearness of God and then, then it feels like, man, God, God, it feels like you're a bit distant. Where are you in this moment of my life? And yet God draws near. He is not far off. Abraham and Sarah learned this in their barrenness even though they'd been promised that they would be parents to nations. Joseph learnt this in the pit that his brothers threw him in. Moses learnt this in the wilderness, tending sheep for 40 years. David learnt this in his years of running from King Saul, even though he had been anointed to be the future king. And you and I will experience this in our lives over and over again. Though we sometimes struggle to see it in the moment, God is not far off. He is always aware. And in this situation, amazingly, we see God step in and He chooses to use a most unlikely candidate. That is good news for us. That is good news for you. A most unlikely candidate. And God gets a hold of King Cyrus and He uses him for His purpose. And the question has got to be asked, why? Why does God step in in this moment? And the answer is found right here in that first verse. That the word of the Lord by the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah might be fulfilled. See, about a hundred years before this, Jeremiah had prophesied that there would be a returning and a rebuilding. And this highlights my second double point for tonight, which is God speaks and He is committed to His promises and His purposes. Again, church, we must never lose sight of these things. We need to remind ourselves. I would hope that I wouldn't have to, as a pastor, regularly remind us as God's people that we serve a God who speaks. But the reality is we, this is one of the most important things that we can remind ourselves of. So often I have people coming to speak to me and they say, hey, Ryan, just wanting to check in. I've got this thing happening in my life. Do you have any wisdom for me? And I'll ask, and so what has God been saying to you? And then they look at me a little bit blankly. And I'm like, surely that's the first place we go, right? We have a God who speaks. He has spoken through 66 books written, compiled over a thousand years and His life has been breathed into His sovereign words. And He is a God who still speaks today. 
through prophetic words and through people's encouragements and through others reminding us of the text. My little grid always, when people kind of say, hey, I'm trying to make a decision, is firstly, what did the Scriptures say about it? What are the Scriptures? That's gotta be the plumb line of truth. If it's outside of that or if it's against that, God's never gonna contradict Himself. That's not His will. What did the Scriptures say about it? Secondly, the Scriptures tell us there is wisdom in the counsel of many. Go and bounce this off some others, some people a little further down the line from you. Thirdly, the Scriptures also tell us that we should ask for wisdom and God will give it to us, so ask for wisdom. What, and then thirdly, uh, fourthly, I think I'm at four now. Fourthly, the Scriptures also tell us that man plans with his mind, but the Lord directs his footsteps. God has given you facilities. Ask Him in wisdom to use those facilities. And then the fifth principle as you make decisions is this, may the peace of God reign in your hearts. That's what the Scriptures tell us. God is a God who speaks. He'll speak through His Word. He'll speak through the wisdom of others. He'll speak wisdom to you. He will allow His peace to reign in your heart. These are all ways we serve a God who speaks. He has declared His plans and His promises, general and specific, and He is committed to them. See, He is God. He cannot lie. It is outside of His nature and His character to go against that which He has declared and promised. This is one of the reasons, church, that it's so important for us to be a people of the Word. We don't say, hey, go have a quiet time daily, get into the Word so that you can kind of tick box your religious duty. No, that's dead religion and we don't believe in religion. We believe in relationship with God and a God who speaks. And as we get into His Word, it reminds us of things that we should not forget. His promises, His degree, decrees, His will, His ways. He is committed to those decrees, those promises. We seek God's will in our lives. And when we do, we should expect Him to be a God that speaks. In this case, God had promised through the prophets that the temple was gonna be rebuilt, that there would be a returning and a rebuilding, and God now moves in, right? Again, this should be so encouraging to us, even as we sit here some 2,500, 600 years later, this should be so encouraging to us. It reminds us that the circumstances of our lives, when we feel the pressure kind of coming in and closing in, the, those circumstances of our lives will not have the final word in our lives. Hebrews 12 reminds us so powerfully that for those of us who are in Christ, we have come, we have come, verse 24 of chapter 12 of Hebrews, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What that reminds us is that when we're in Christ, there is no law, there is no karma dynamic, no vengeance, no circumstance, no shortcoming, no consequence that has a more powerful or final word over your life than the finished work of the cross of Christ. That's why Christ, when He was on the cross, as He breathed His last, said that word tetelestai, which means it is finished. He had finished the work that his father had brought him to do. 
For God so loved the worlds that He sent His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Christ had fulfilled that work for which the Father had sent Him. I love this story of King Cyrus because it reminds us that no political power No conquest, no king, no virus, no taxi strikes, no setbacks, not even the evil intent of people in our lives will prevent God from achieving His perfect will and purpose in His perfect time. See, the most powerful king of the known world at the time bows to the plans and purposes of God. Church, God speaks And God is committed to His purposes. But now let's turn our attention to how God often goes about fulfilling His purposes and His plans. And the third thing that I wanna point out, my third double point here is that God catalyzes His purposes through obedient leaders through obedient leaders. It happens in this passage and and it happens in so many other contexts in the Scriptures that when God wants to achieve His purposes, here, I don't understand it. Let me just be honest. I don't fully grasp and understand why the sovereign, omnipotent God would choose to link Himself to human instrumentality that even God Himself as He came would have to squeeze Himself into the form of a tiny little baby unborn child who then gets born in becomes a person, right? But how is it? It's a mystery. And yet I think it is such an important reality for us to grasp. Of course, the action only happens when the leader then is obedient to God and acts upon God's instruction. Why am I telling this this tonight? Well, firstly, it's an ordination Sunday. We're setting leaders apart. So I wanna talk to leadership and make sure that we get the hearts of it right. But secondly, in our world today, I believe that in a time where more and more people are deconstructing all kinds of power structures all around us, some which should rightfully be deconstructed and re-kind of designed, rightfully so, there is also a danger that if we're not careful, we as a generation may find ourselves throwing out the good with the bad. And I wanna to speak to that because I believe we need, we need to be a people who find ourselves in this place of really understanding that God has a heart and purpose for leadership. God has a heart and purpose for leadership. One of the verses that I love to kind of remind ourselves of very often, and I quote it quite often, is this, it's found in Judges 5 and verse two. It says that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. What is that saying? What that's saying is it's saying, hey, there's this dynamic when leaders operate in the spirit and activity that God has for them. And when the people operate in the spirit of responsiveness to that leadership and participate in a beautiful way, that is a blessing to God when it works as He has ordained it to work. But a sense of good leadership and good followership is a blessing to God, that's what it says. And importantly, I think the Bible has got a lot to say about what God's intention and ideals look like for leadership. 
And obviously Christ is the standard for leadership. A life laid down so that others may more fully live. Leadership that holds both truth and grace and perfection. The tension that those create. See, when you look at Jesus' life, did He ever dial down on truth? No. But did He ever dial down on grace? No. Christ is the only human who has been able to perfectly give us truth and grace in full measure. I, as a leader, am inclined to wanna dial down truth so that I can be more gracious. Or sometimes I can find myself dropping my graciousness because man, now it's a time for truth and I'm just gonna hit you with it. Jesus is the one that held truth and grace and perfection. Leadership that's not self-serving. Leadership that is dependent on power and guidance from above. I wanna say, yes, let's deconstruct all the unhelpful power dynamics of rotten leadership. We see it in the world. We see it around us. We see it in the church sometimes. Let's deconstruct systematic injustice, but let's be a people who hold to the gift that godly leadership can be to our lives and to the world's. I know that in a room this size, there are a number of leaders in the room. Maybe you lead on the sports field. Maybe you lead in your company. Maybe you're a manager or a business leader. Maybe you own a company. Can I encourage you? Can I ask you this question? If you declare Christ as King and if the people that you lead know that you're a Christ follower, does your leadership reflect and represent the leadership of Christ where you are? Great question for us to reflect on. I was having lunch with one of our business owners. He's got about 800 staff here in Cape Town and a couple thousand more up in Johannesburg. And he said to me, Ryan, you will not believe how much my leadership of my company changed when I became a Christ follower. See, God got a hold of my heart and I actually realised that that guy, that guy was not a good leader. And as I looked to Christ and as I studied His life and as I took on more and more of His will and His ways in my life, I became the kind of leader that other people recognised and looked up to, changed His whole leadership ethos. On this matter of leadership, I think we can learn a couple of things here from Cyrus, right? What can we learn from King Cyrus? Well, he seems to firstly operate out of a real conviction and confidence. And you may say, not surprising, he's the most powerful king of the known worlds. But that's not what he says. Let's look at what he says. Firstly, he gets a clear view of God. He gets a clear view of God and God meets him. He doesn't go chasing after God. It seems God interrupts his life and he says directly, the Lord, the God of heaven has charged me to build. He's like, man, this is God and he's got a hold of me and he's given me a task to do and I'm gonna respond to him. That's called the fear of the Lord, a righteous response to a clear view of who God is. And of course, we then see him actually being obedient with it. But look at these verses. Whoever, he says this, he decrees it. Whoever among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. See, Cyrus had a confidence and a conviction to lead and to call God's people because of these three things. Firstly, let's put them up. Cyrus sees the people as, not his people, God's people. Remember, he's a conquering king and he could just say, guys, I'm decreeing it, so now go and do it. 
But he doesn't. He reminds them that they are God's people and he recognises that. And then secondly, he calls them to God's work. This is not Cyrus's pet project, let's go build a temple in Jerusalem. No, he recognises this is God's work. And then ultimately, he also recognises that God is going to be with them as they go. This gives them a confidence to call the people to God's work. Sigh. Kate, I wanna point you to those three things tonight. Remind yourself regularly, these are God's people. You are an under-shepherd, appointed tonight to be an under-shepherd on behalf of the good shepherd, the ultimate shepherd. These are God's people, and guess what? This is God's work. This is not common ground's work. This is not my work. This is not your work. This is God's work. And in the context of common ground, we wanna freshly call people to participate in this work. Guys, it breaks my heart that right now we have roughly 70 people keen to dial into community in life groups and we cannot recognise and raise leaders fast enough to serve these people in life groups. And I told the 8.30 and I told the 10.30 and now I'm telling the 6 p.m. meeting, guys, we need more people to respond to King Jesus and say, hey, these are God's people and this is God's work and ultimately, God, I trust that you'll be with me. And we're never gonna kind of, what's the word, compromise with character. But if competence is what you need to step into more of, we'll walk the road with you. We need people to step in and recognise God's people, God's work, and that God ultimately is gonna be with you. Parents, if you're a parent in the room, I want you to take a moment to apply this to your parenting. Do you believe that these little lives are in God's hands, not just yours? Do you believe that God has invited you as a steward of their lives to participate in His work of raising them? Do you believe that God will be with them even when you're not able to be? Changes the way that we look at these things, right? Let's look at the final elements of how God goes about stepping into this situation, accomplishing His purpose. Yes, God's always at work. And yes, God is aware of everything that you're going through and He is not far off. And yes, God speaks and He is committed to His promises and His purposes. And yes, He catalyzes His purposes through obedient leaders. But the fourth thing that we see in this passage is that God's purposes are only actually achieved through the participation of all the people. In the New Testament, this is called the priesthood of all believers. In other words, all of us recognising that God has now set us apart as His priests into the world. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. I love this. Cyrus, super powerful guy, right? God could have just given them the decree. God could have just said, hey, Cyrus told them to do it. And guess what? They would have had to do it. He doesn't. He leaves room for everyone to play. In the economy of God, there is room for all of us to play our part. Most of the New Testament letters are written to the elders, the deacons and the saints. That's 
all of us, because we all have a part to play. Gifts have been given to the church for its edification. You have gifts. It's not just a few leaders. And let me just tell you, as a pastor, this is very reassuring. Why? Because the stirred upness of the people of God is not the work of a leader. The stirred upness of the people of God, this passage tells us is a work of God. Everyone whom the Lord stirred up, stood up and participated. This is something we actively praying into as a leadership team that we would find ourselves stirred up, called, committed, equipped and mobilized to release generosity and to serve and to participate in all the ways that God calls us to do so, but that it would ultimately be a work of His Spirit in each and every one of us. Guys, we've only got one life to live. The question becomes, how will we spend it? Have you heard of the hamster wheel of life? Hamster wheel of life works like this. I go to school. Hopefully I go to a good school. Why? So that I can get good grades and get into a good university. Why? So that hopefully I can get a good job and maybe find a great spouse. Why? So that maybe I can live in a great house and I can sprout some spawn. And guess what? Where are they gonna go? They're gonna hopefully go to a good school. Why? So that they, wait, I'm back over here. So that they can go to a good university. Why? So that hopefully they too can go to a, get a good job. And then they too can also find a great spouse and, and maybe they too can sprout some spawn so that they too, do you see the hamster wheel? Guys, we're all on it. It's not going anywhere. There is surely got to be more to life than the hamster wheel of just progress and trying to get ahead and goodness. What's the point of that? I wanna live in the design and intention that God has created me for and I wanna be a part of what He's doing in the world. So I wanna ask us church tonight, what does a stirred up people look like here at Common Ground? How could the purposes of God and our generation be more fulfilled? Were we to be a fully stirred up people for His purposes? What would it look like if God had to stir you up in your place of work and on your sports fields and in your quiet time and in your marriage and at the varsity? So I'm putting you on the spot again here tonight. But I've loved watching the unfolding story of Sai's life. And I would say that Sai is one of the most stirred up people I know. I'm not sure I know anyone more front-footed and enthusiastic about sharing his faith and, and living his life to the fullness of God. And surely that's how it should be, right? That's how it should be when we all recognize that we're just hungry beggars. And we have found food that nourishes the, nourishes the soul. It should be a natural overflow of our lives that we should tell other people that seem to be hungry around us for the same things, that this is where this nourishing reality can be found. Last year, we actually 
put a camera in front of Sai and said, hey, why don't you just tell us a bit of your story? I feel like this is a story of a stirred up life. Let's watch it together. My name is Sonos Naika, and this is my story. I grew up in a family of five and I was the youngest and we grew up with an alcoholic and often violent father. He brought a lot of anxiety and trauma into our lives until my parents divorced when I was 12. I practiced Hinduism because that's what my family believed. Until things changed up when my eldest sister was the first to come to faith. She came home to us and told us about this God that she had met. And it really confused me and made me quite curious because I thought faith was just something you were given and inherited by from your parents. I remember my second elder sister, um, after that sister, being very upset uh, about my sister coming and speaking this truth and this gospel. And she was very resistant, but a friend of hers actually took her to common ground. After a run, she sort of said, hey, can you come through the church with me? I'm gonna be late. And she heard the gospel for the first time and was moved by it and subsequently heard God saying that he's her father. And then she became this amazing evangelist and like came and told us all about God. And I was so shocked by this because she was not you know, interested in Jesus. When I moved to Cape Town to study, this was the opportunity she'd been waiting for to show me her God. And to be honest, when I first came to church at Common Ground, I wasn't completely sold. I didn't understand this God who was offering his grace for free. It, it didn't make any sense to me. And I wondered, what did I have to do? The simplicity of the gospel confused me so much, coming from a space of understanding karma and good and right and getting what you put into the world. But this God's offer was for free and it blew my mind. Um, I knew that he was God. Three months in, I remember seeing that this was the one true God but I couldn't believe his offer was free. Eventually God revealed to me that he's God and he gets to decide how things work. That's what it means for God to be God. And I had to play by his rules. And he says that his son can die for my life and I can receive this grace for free. I realized that I couldn't close the gap between myself and God. And I really needed Jesus Christ to come and die for my sins so that that gap could be closed. Remarkably, while I was coming to faith, my mother was having a very similar experience in Durban. She had called me after my first experience at church and she'd wondered how did it go and whether she should also check things out as she had passed one that day. And I said, definitely, you should totally check it out. We can go on this journey together. And I remember us sharing calls on a Sunday, just saying, what do you think of the sermon? Oh, this God is very interesting. This is so different from anything we've ever known. So God has deeply changed me and my biological family but I can't tell you about the amazing grace that he has shown me through my spiritual family at Common Ground. In my story, I grew up without a father who I could ask for wisdom and guidance. By coming to faith and learning of my heavenly father, I've really had that completely turned around for me. I remember a day when I was driving back from church and it was just such a faithful moment. All these thoughts came into my mind of just how I changed, how I used to be this way and now I'm this way. I used to be like that, I used to be timid and now I'm more bold. I used to be like this and now I'm like that. And I wondered, why was I so different? And I just felt God saying to me, that's because you're my son and I'm raising you. I'm truly your father. That's what it means for me to be your father, is that I raise you and I love you and I come alongside you and I change you and I make you more like me. Just recently, my mom, after 10 years of knowing him, decided to be baptized and be obedient to his word. And it was just such a moment of highlighting to me how God never leaves us the way he finds us. He changes our lives from the inside out.
Don't you just love that? A life that is met by God and God stirs things up, not just in Sai's life, but in that whole family and actually started with your sisters, right? God longs to see each and every one of us stirred up as his people for his purposes. And church, I wanna say you don't have to think global missions, right? All you've gotta do, you don't have to think give up my job and move to China or somewhere. No, all you gotta do is rock up to work tomorrow. And you gotta say, hey God, won't you use me in this space to participate and be a part of your purpose? God, won't you make me sensitive to how you're a God who speaks and how you might wanna speak to and encourage and love on the people around me, just like you did when you were here, Jesus. And I wanna say, church, we don't have to go about trying to build some new pretty temple to be partaking and building the house of God. No, actually the Scriptures call us to serving and leading and giving and praying and encouraging and rocking up Sunday after Sunday and lifting our voices in worship and sitting under the truth of God's Word. That's what it means to be the people of God. And the Scriptures tell us that we are being built into this royal priesthood, a a temple for His presence, right? This verse teaches us that the participation of all of us is a work of God in our lives. Let me bring this into land now tonight with the final part of this story. And in many ways, this is, this is the best part for me. See, the reality is we might wanna look at King Cyrus and, and say, hey, he's the hero of the story. But that's not the truth. The Scriptures tell us that everything that takes place is just something by foreshadowing of what's to come. The main events of human history when Jesus Christ, the one true King, arrives on the scenes. See, Jesus is the one true King. See, He too stepped out of His kingly privilege to serve God's purposes and to set people free. And He has set us free from our ultimate spiritual bondage, which is slavery to sin. And guess what? Cyrus just penned a decree and sent it out. But God through Christ embodied His very message and came and He lived the life that we could not live and then He died the death that we deserve to die so that His message would be embodied and lived out amongst us. He is the good and better King. Cyrus was able to say, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, but it's only King Jesus that is able to say, all all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And out of that, He commissions us. And guess what? Cyrus could not say, I will be with you. No, he just stayed on his kind of comfortable throne. No promises of being with us. And yet Christ Himself, the one true King says, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Church, we serve the one true King, the good and better Cyrus. And he is calling us freshly tonight to recognise His nearness to our lives and to participate freshly in His purposes. Let's bow our heads together. Maybe you've come here today and you've 
maybe still grappling with the realities of what you believe about this whole Christianity and Christ thing. It's my hope that you tonight even have sensed something of the stirring of God in your life. It's my encouragement that you would be a person found to be responsive to Him. See, the good news of the Christian life is not that you need to clean yourself or earn it or do something to receive His approval. No, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that He did it for us. It's through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone that we can be rescued and saved. And when we accept that, we go on the great adventure of seeing His Spirit at work within us, shaping us and forming us more into His likeness. There's no earning or gradually achieving or moving towards. It is one ultimate moment, act of surrender, recognizing, declaring Him as leader and Lord and allowing Him to do that work in us from that point on. I wanna invite you tonight, if your heart's beating fast, if you sense that God is calling, that you would speak to someone you came with. Maybe you'd connect with one of us leaders afterwards, that you would say, hey, tonight is the night that I need to do a business with the King of the universe, my Creator. I need to come home to Him, to His love, to His grace. For the rest of us, God, I wanna pray that you would cause us to be a people that know your nearness, that trust you when we can see it and when it's harder to see that you are God that is near, that knows, that has eyes on us at all times. God, that you are God who speaks and that you are God who catalyzes things through leaders' lives. And so Father, we freshly tonight again say, we make ourselves available to your purposes. And we say, God, won't you use us? Won't you use us? Christ, we declare you as King. And we say, come and freshly sit on the throne of our lives, be leader and Lord, and move us on. Take us on into the fullness of your purpose in your beautiful name. Amen.